Hey, Stranger Rangers, this is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. almost halloween yes and which also means the four-year anniversary of the podcast i know that's so crazy that's wild when we were doing that math a couple weeks ago Uh i was just like no it's three it's definitely three and then it's like no it's i can't even believe it's been four years yeah it's wild and i was just watching uh the first ever like ad we ran uh-huh. and I was like Brie has been there since day one because it's your hand that we used to cover in blood and drag oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right I totally forgot about that yeah because we... we did it across like the cardstock yep paper. yeah yes. we just threw a bunch of fake blood on Brie's hand and <laughs> I, I just had this vision in my mind of like a hand full of blood being like dragged away and like leaving a mark like that's what was in my head and she helped me make it come true because we did a couple takes (laughs) it was so fun (laughs) I think we did that the same night maybe before we went to that um didn't we go to that haunted house with you guys I think oh. uh, Megan was around. Oh it yeah, was it was for white. girls. It was yep. just girls, a girls trip. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. I think that's that was only right. like my second time being doing a haunted house sort of thing, and yeah. I hate them. I remembered why I don't like them. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's fine when you're walking around and like things are just like popping out at you, but no, there was. Uh, there was somebody that chased us through it. I did not love that. No, thank you. I catastrophize all of those situations. And I'm like, no, this is the perfect place to actually get away with a murder. Like you think that's a fake chainsaw, but it's not a fake chainsaw. Someone's got a plan in here and it's going to be me. It's going to be me that gets taken out. Oh gosh. Like I'm not. Okay. Yeah. No. Mm -mm. Like I legit would pee myself. <laughs> like oh, yeah. I get jump scares are the worst. Like I will scream and I will come. I think I had no voice for a couple of days after that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's spooky. Super Which spooky. Reminds me, and I think we talked about this a couple of days ago. There's a documentary on one of the major ones. So it's either Netflix or Hulu. So if you haven't seen this already, I totally recommend it especially during Halloween, it's a documentary about McKinney Manor. And if you don't know what that is, it's a traveling haunted house. That's what it started like. Mm -hmm. It was a traveling haunted house. And then it just developed into a more sinister, scary, dangerous haunted house where I believe at where they last left off, it's participants volunteering to go in because the owner of the establishment or whatever you want to call it is offering, if you survive eight hours of this terror, they will reward you like $20,000 or something like that. But you do have to sign a waiver that you are allowing them 
to terrorize you terrorize torture torture actual physical contact torture yes and they can i mean they're literally signing a waiver saying i could wind up dead and i am waiving you know everything from their responsibility which i don't think would ever hold up in a court of law i don't yeah. think so i mean contracts are notoriously signed and then can be exactly. rescinded by a judge but they'll sign i mean it on the waiver itself it'll say things like they can be waterboarded and they can be abused mm -hmm. uh, so they can be struck or you know quote unquote like assaulted so you can come out with a black eye or it even said like a brain injury concussion they can pull out okay they can pull out your teeth like oh my god that triggers it for me like oh no way not worth the twenty thousand dollars out absolutely no. not and especially not if you're gonna pull out my teeth dental no. work is friggin' expensive well and some of the people that are i mean they're some of them are, are thrill seekers right that are signing up to do this sure. uh, but some of the people that have gone through it i don't know that there has been any or many that have survived the whole eight hours without tapping out prior to ending it so the people that have come forward now say that they regret doing it because even though they knew they were in quote safe sure they weren't they were actually traumatized by this the whole ordeal when they went into the house and 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 went through that whole experience so the documentary though will explain it better than i can yeah um and from firsthand accounts of people that were in the house, people that either worked in the house. Um, so I totally recommend it. I don't, it doesn't show anything gory, but it does talk about it. So mm. I will say that. Probably not something to watch with your littles around. No, no, no not no. at all. No, no, no. Adult time. Let them go to bed. Watch yes. the documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah crazy yeah well yeah um you won't catch me within 100 yards of anywhere like that God. don't yeah, want no. anything to do with it no <laughs> ptsd is not worth it no at all. at all oh my gosh well for today's episode um i've got three little mini halloween murder stories to gift to you guys. I tried looking some stuff up and I just could not land on one specific case that I wanted to cover. There were so many good ones. So I was like, ah, we'll just do a little spooky trio and I'll nice. just kind of cover a few of them for you. So this first one, and I went back through all of the episodes <laughs> specifically around Halloween. I don't think that you and Mackenzie covered any of these. Okay. Um, so hopefully they're all new, if not to the podcast, um, specifically, but new stories that maybe you haven't even heard before. Cool. So this first one, which, oh man, I could have easily done a really, really, really super deep dive into this one. So maybe there'll be another episode that comes around with that. But okay. this first of these three stories is about a young woman by the name of Martha Moxley. And this takes place back in 1975 in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. 
And this case is said to be like one of the most captivating crimes, not necessarily like Halloween specific, but just as a crime in general, because it took almost 27 years for them to convict somebody of it. Long time. We're talking almost three decades, you know? Yeah. So back in 1975, 15-year-old Martha attended you know, like, like a Halloween mischief night. It was October 30th night before Halloween. So she was getting together with some friends to go do the, you know, toilet, toilet papering people's houses and trees, um, egging probably, you know, maybe some ding dong ditch, you know, the good old mischief night activities. So she was with a group of neighborhood kids on that evening and, in this group were the, um, some of her neighbors, I believe you pronounce their last name Skakel. Um, so the Skakel brothers, Michael and his older brother, Thomas, Martha and Michael were both 15 at the time. And I think Thomas was maybe like a year or two older than them. Okay. It sounded like they all went to school together. So in addition to the mischief that they were up to that night, it's also said that Martha began flirting with Thomas, the oldest of the two brothers, and the okay. two even shared a kiss that night around 930. Yeah. So they were up to all sorts of mischief <laughs> Yeah, they were on this night. <laughs> so they were out doing their thing, you know going through the neighborhoods and the next morning, this would have been Halloween morning. Martha was found dead beneath a tree in the backyard of her home. Of her home. Of her home. Damn. Her pants and underwear had been pulled down, but there was no evidence of any sort of sexual assault. It looks like she was just kind of left in this state, um, you know, a little, uh, humiliating. Yeah. So, so to speak. And neck also next to Martha's body, they discovered pieces of a broken six iron golf club and autopsy Whoa. results would later reveal that she was beaten and stabbed to death by that golf club. Oh shit. And I mean, golf clubs are hard to break. Those are not easy, you know, pieces of equipment no. to leave broken pieces around of something, you know, so I can only imagine without seeing pictures of, you know, in the state that she was found that, um, it was probably pretty brutal. Yeah. You know, it's so, I mean, oof, just like a jagged piece of metal. That's mm-hmm. what that's awful. Yeah. To this poor 15 year old girl. Now police start investigating obviously, and they were actually able to trace this golf club back to the skate the Skakel household. It was a golf club that was missing from a set that they had in their house. Now, Thomas, the oldest brother was the last person to have seen Martha and he became the prime suspect, but throughout the whole investigation, they never landed on enough evidence to make an arrest there. You know, we were just out with a group of friends. I last saw her around nine 30 and we kind of went our separate ways. Now, the younger brother, Michael, was also questioned over the years, and at one point, his alibi was that he was beside the Moxley property um, 
window peeping up in a tree and masturbating from 1130 PM to 1230 AM. And he claims to be looking into Martha's bedroom. And I'm like, wow, dude, that is like one wild alibi. That is weird. I was just peeping Tom in it, you know? It's almost, it it sounds like a tactic to use of like self-deprecation or something embarrassing. Like you slip in something embarrassing in the story to make it seem true or something like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I wouldn't tell you this if I wasn't actually doing this kind of thing. Right. Like, why would I tell you otherwise? Or maybe if Mm. I tell you something so like vulgar, you'll stop asking questions like that too. Like, oh, okay. Got it. Don't want to know any more about that. Thank you so much. So he's on. So he's saying he was peeping into Martha's room. So she would have been alive until at Mm -hmm. least 1230. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That was Mike Michael's alibi and his alibi over the years comes and goes and changes and never really has one really super great consistent story. Now we do find out that at some point in his life, Michael attended a troubled youth school called Elon school. And this was also in Connecticut and some former classmates of his came forward and said that Michael had confessed to them that he killed Martha with the golf club. And he was also quoted saying that, quote, I'm going to get away with this murder because I'm a Kennedy. Now, fun fact about this, Michael was the nephew to Robert F. Kennedy, who was JFK's brother. So he's all intertwined with all of this. And from what it sounds like, he was writing out that last name and that reputation. And he pretty much felt like he was absolutely untouchable. Yeah. And now this is years still after the actual murder took place. So I don't know when exactly within that timeline that these uh, former classmates of his came forward. Oh, I see. It was years after the fact. Before they came forward, but he had to have done it in the like first like two or three years after right if he was like youth Mm -hmm. troubled okay exactly yeah Yeah. because 15 you know you're like roughly a sophomore in high school so probably his last two years you know he made some sort of confession during that time right and then years later these uh former classmates came forward so once authorities are made aware of um michael you know making this claim to them he was arrested and put on trial after that information and roughly 27 years after the murder michael skakel was convicted of her murder and he was sentenced uh to 20 years to life in prison oh wow now over the years michael filed and was denied appeals at least four different times while he was in jail, him trying to get a new trial and to overturn Mm -hmm. this. And in 2013, Michael actually won an appeal and was granted a new trial on the basis that he was not adequately represented in his first trial by his defense attorney. Oh, and as a result of this, Michael was released on a $1.2 million bail on November 13th of 
Now, in 2016, a Connecticut Supreme Court ruled in a four to three decision that his representation at the time was indeed valid and his conviction was reinstated. Oh, shit. Yeah. So they hauled him back into jail. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. In May of 2018, the court reversed again its ruling with another four to three decision that evidence of Michael's alibi wasn't presented by his defense attorney in his original trial, and he was released. Okay. That is so much yo-yoing back and forth. So much back and forth. I was like literally getting dizzy, like reading through all of these back and forths. Yeah. You know, getting things overturned and what? and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. And so in 2018, he was released and prosecutors have an option to retry Michael, but this will probably never, ever happen. They would have such a hard time doing so yeah. largely due to the fact of deceased witnesses from over the years, oh We're talking my gosh. 30 years later. And just a bunch of other challenges that come with that, you know, evidence, changing alibis, whatnot. And so I think that they've kind of let it rest, unfortunately, with yeah. his release. And they're like, it's kind of, the, it is not looking in our favor to try to take this guy back to court. And Michael remains free as of December, 2019. And in 2020, there was a CNN report that the case was reopened to the public. So if there's any information about, wow, you know, who did this, I can only imagine how upset the Moxley family is after oh, yeah. waiting almost 30 years to put someone in prison for the murder of their daughter. And then it happens. And then it happens. And then it's undone. Yep. And then it happens again. Yep. And now it's a holy crap. Yeah, I'm I know. Pissed as the family member of hers. So upset. And I mean, that is like a very brief, but as detailed as I could get, short little mini rundown of that case. And yeah. um definitely worth a deeper dive. There was um a couple at least one book that had come out over the years. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if it was written by a Kennedy or just somebody who thought, you know, really highly of the family and sure. pretty much um, laying out Michael's innocence in all of really? this. Yeah. So I thought that that would be, I mean, that still doesn't explain how his family's golf club got to the scene and was used as the murder murder weapon how is that explained away by the family exactly yeah and there's not really a whole lot that I found that could explain that away I know that there was an autopsy report that I believe they said that Martha probably had passed away around midnight and okay. so when you go with Michael's original alibi that he was whacking it up in a tree from 1130 PM to 1230 AM. Okay. Well, you pretty much put yourself right at the scene of the crime. Exactly. Right when the autopsy report thinks that. So what are they think, So what are we thinking happened that he was just jealous that her and his brother had shared a kiss and she was flirting with 
his brother instead of him just jealousy that's my thought um throughout the investigation they did end up finding a diary that belonged to martha and there is an entry that she wrote i want to say a week before all this happened her talking about how she needs to stop hanging out with the brothers i mean they're very very close neighbors if they don't live like right next door to each other it's like a couple house oh okay difference um and so from the feeling that i got is that i think that this michael was probably a pain in her ass the whole time and she had a crush on his older brother and maybe he was a giant pain in the ass to her because it was that whole like oh if a boy is picking on you it means he likes you sort of thing And they're right at that age where Mm -hmm. that would make sense and yeah wow and I think somebody just couldn't take it and maybe the kiss on that Halloween Eve right was the tipping point for for Michael and maybe it was a situation of this uh well if I can't have her nobody can yeah sort of thing so that is the um case of Martha Moxley definitely worth looking into if you guys want to do a little bit of research of that on your own um it's just kind of funny that another like JFK reference comes up after one of the I know that's why when you said Kennedy again I was like wait a minute what's happening here what's happening (laughs) oh the Kennedys and all of the if you say it three times something else will happen exactly Um, maybe what we could do is like after you've done the three maybe we can have everyone vote on which one we want a deeper dive on Moxley's a good runner I mean I want to know just more about the justice system and how that whole what they do those 30 years between the first arrest totally yeah so that's very interesting especially that back and forth here at the end and that he's out now yeah it was definitely a little whiplashy for sure yeah exactly wow they don't go egging and toilet papering i don't think people do that anymore right I haven't seen it since I was in high school, but yeah. that doesn't mean that it doesn't that's happen. That's true. That's true. I haven't seen egging since college, but okay, yeah, <laughs> it's a good it's one. It's an there. oldie but a goodie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, this next case is about a man named Ronald O'Brien, and to me, this is like the quintessential. Um, I mean, it's a tale that we heard growing up when we were young and trick-or-treating about watching out for the poisonous candy, right? Yeah. Don't eat any of the candy if the wrapper's been torn, anything that looks tampered with. Or like razors Um, in the candy or needles. Yeah. Yep. So Ronald O'Brien has been given two names. um, The first one being the man who killed Halloween and the second is the candy man and this pl- takes place in deer park texas mm. so kind of around the same time as martha moxley coincidentally this is halloween of 1974 and ronald's eight-year-old son timothy had just returned home from trick-or-treating and before timothy went to bed that night he was given one last piece of candy by his father and this was a pixie stick And Ronald helped Timothy open the pixie stick. And with Timothy first tasted it, it said that he complained that it had a really bitter taste to it. Mm. 
And almost instantly, Timothy was vomiting, convulsing, and he sadly passed away on his way to the hospital that evening. Now, like I said, the quintessential story, right? To like scare kids and, and all of that, this news of Timothy's death, death absolutely terrified the community and authorities instructed all parents to confiscate all of their kids' candy, specifically pixie sticks. And to, I mean, you might as well just throw everything away. Cause who wants to play Russian roulette with your kids? Candy in life. Candy. Yeah. So Ronald was questioned and his story changed multiple times and police would later learn that Ronald was the one that was responsible for Timothy's death. And what had happened is that Ronald had poisoned the pixie stick with cyanide. And when wondering why Ronald would have done this, who would poison their own child, they found out that he was in debt in the ballpark of roughly a hundred thousand dollars. And he had taken out a life insurance policy on both of his children. It's awful. So awful. And it said that Ronald also distributed poison candy to his daughter that evening as well, but she never ate the pixie stick. And he also gave them to three other children. And this was all in an attempt to cover up the murder of his son or maybe his son and his daughter. So if it's not just my two kids that got this poison candy and other kids do, maybe that will take the spotlight off of me a little bit. And fortunately, from what we know, the other kids that were given these pixie sticks never ate any of the candy. Mm. And there are even claims that authorities were actually able to recover four of the five pixie sticks that Ronald distributed that night. Now there was, um, a set of parents. I believe they had a 10 year old boy who the O'Briens had known, like through their church, they got news from the authorities. Hey, this is what happened. You need to be checking your kids Halloween candy. And they race into their kid's room. And this boy had the pixie stick in bed with him. Fortunately, he was asleep, but the pixie stick had been like folded. And I think like stapled or like in some weird way that was making it really, really hard to open. And luckily by the grace of God, that was the situation. And it looks like maybe the kid just like got frustrated and, and, just didn't, put open it, it. and didn't open it and just went to bed. That wow. It's so scary. I mean, you're running into your kid's so room close to it happening mm-hmm. Holy and it's shit. just laying there. So, um, so they recovered four of the five pixie sticks, luckily. And when they went and ran tests on the cyanide in these, the pathologist who tested the candy consumed by Timothy specifically said that it had enough cyanide in it to kill two adults. Wow. So it was a heavy, heavy Ugh. punch of poison. Now a, a year, baby, just a little baby, an eight-year-old. Yeah. What is wrong with you? And a year after Timothy's death, this would be in June of 1975, Ronald was finally found guilty of murder and was given the death penalty by lethal injection. Oh shit. Yeah. Damn. So, I mean, Texas doesn't I mean, mess around. No, 
no. do not. Mm-mm. Especially not in 1975. No. I mean, they don't even now, but especially. <laughs> I mean, you could kill a little ago. kid mm-hmm. for money and to kill him in such a terrible way. I mean, kill him in general, but uh, God, something that I'm sure was like caused them pain. Oh, before he passed. Yeah, that's awful. Vomiting and convulsing on his way to the hospital. I mean, and you know, I do have to keep into perspective that this was 50 years ago, but I'm like reading this and I'm like, have we not learned that it makes you look really suspicious once you've taken a life insurance policy and all of a sudden they... (laughs) just conveniently conveniently pass away away. right yeah i I mean even now i think some people forget because we still see that happening right even recently exactly i'm like come on now you you can't do that and it shocks me it's like how many stories have you heard that this is exactly how everything plays out, but you still, for whatever reason, think you're going to get away with it. Yeah. And people forget that, you know, when they're calling in to cash in on those life insurance policies, that most of the time those calls are going to be recorded now too. Sure. So they could be subpoenaed and taken into evidence once they find out that that's why why you did it or what you did it for so mm-hmm. humans exactly i know humans doing stupid things for any amount of money yeah honestly. i had heard this story before but i didn't know that he had put it into other kids candy bags too yeah and the story about the parents walking in on their kid almost like in hand mm-hmm. but it being so hard to open i didn't know that either are pixie sticks still a thing oh they've got to be like i've seen the big ones that you could fill in yourself you know it has like different flavors right like the the paper straw pixie sticks that's what i'm thinking of Mm. unless they were made of plastic back then because i remember some you could pop open like you know if they're sealed this way you pop it this way like the opposite way right trying to yeah. think of when was this 1970 what 1974 yeah i wonder if and now what see, they were i only from. remember the paper pixie sticks and i remember hating them because you open them with your mouth and then you've they got saliva wet. all over the top and then none of the good stuff comes out and so it was like a, a candy not even worth eating yeah let me see if um i bet you the dollar tree still has pixie sticks Oh, you know what? They probably do. It would not surprise me at all. You get like a like a pack of 20 for a dollar or something like that. Yeah, they Here's the ad for it and it looks like they're paper. So I don't imagine them being plastic at this point. No, probably not. Yeah, those but, definitely look like they're paper. So I wonder if he like glued it maybe. For some reason, I feel like something stapled. said that it was like stapled, which how weird does that look? Why is my candy stapled right. shut? <laughs> Why is there <laughs> like staple? But when you're eight, 10 year old on Halloween, you're not really thinking those things through, but oh. See, this this is a sign of how I grew up, guys. These are the off-brand pixie sticks, and these are in plastic little tubes, it says. 
<laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, I do remember those. That's funny. Yeah. Those I mean, like, those look like what? They look like, like glow sticks. They do. Yeah, which is also why I know what a glow stick tastes like. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there's any truth to to the um to the stories of there being like razors in kids candies i wonder what the story is behind that but it's just this interesting to me just like the like the dingo ate my baby or like why we check kids halloween candy you know Mm -hmm. there's a story behind it um and it just happens to be true crime it's just like (laughs) yeah when when dumb laws or dumb rules are put onto products i'm like something had something had to happen for that to be put on a label there's a reason interesting to hear the story yes like behind why kids candies get checked exactly yeah the razor blades are pretty intense like oh no thank you yeah i mean to have the skill to even like put that into something and then rewrap it i don't i don't know but people do amazingly stupid things every day and i have no explanation for why that's true they're done comes down to humans again yep humans humans (laughs) that's funny one day aliens will just come down and take us all out and then there won't even have to be this conversation anymore that's true they'll just we'll just know it because they're gonna take life insurance policies out on us first and then and then come take us out exactly Oh my gosh. Well, this last case for you guys is about a man. His name is Johnny Frank Garrett. And this also takes place in Texas. Johnny is the nun murderer. So this made me think of, well, not made me think of it. Cause this is not like the plot line to the movie at all, but the new conjuring that's come out Oh, about yeah. the nun mm. Yeah, you absolutely will not find me watching that. Not at all. No. So on October 31st, Halloween night of 1981, 76-year-old sister Tadia Benz's body was found naked in the St. Francis Covent. Other nuns at the Covent called police when they noticed a broken window in their community room. And when authorities arrived, they discovered Sister Benz's clothing um, just on the, on the floor in a room and a knife underneath the bed where her body was found. Oh, damn. Now an autopsy would later reveal that sister had been stabbed, strangled and sexually assaulted in the early morning hours of Halloween day. So, you know, sometime after midnight on Halloween, Now, police start their investigation by going around and questioning neighbors. This coven was like right in like a neighborhood area. So lots of neighboring houses of just, you know, people close by. And one of the witnesses that they talked to saw 17 year old Johnny Frank Garrett running from the covent that evening. Now, Johnny lived just across the street and I'm going to highlight that again, that he was 17 years old at the time. Police were able to identify Johnny's fingerprints on the knife that was found at the scene where they found sister's body. 
Japan on November 9th, 1981, Johnny was ultimately found guilty and he was sentenced to death in 1992. Wow. Now, throughout Johnny's that's trial, a, that's a time, that's a big chunk of time. It was a big chunk of time. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't, that didn't even dawn on me until just now reading that. That's out like loud. 10 yeah. years. So he spent like 10 years waiting for trial mm. and sentencing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, part of that, well, I'll get to that, but um, throughout his trial, Johnny maintained his innocence. He never admitted any guilt or that he was there or anything like that. And he was held at a facility in Texas called Ellis Unit. And at the time, this was where men that were on death row were being held in the state of Texas. And he was originally scheduled for execution on January 6th of 1992, But Pope John Paul II at the time asked for mercy to be given on Johnny. And now I really should know more than I do, but I did grow up Catholic. Yeah. And there is, I don't know, this, uh, there is throughout, you know, being Christian or whatever to, you know, give forgiveness to your enemies and whatnot, but I feel like it's even more so in the Catholic denomination of not carrying that burden with you and forgiving people, no matter what heinous things that they've done. So this Pope John Paul II at the time did ask for mercy on Johnny and Texas governor at the time, Ann Richards gave him a temporary delay on his sentence. Now that could have potentially been what contributed to that. What 11 year gap from when he was found guilty to when he was actually executed, but there was a hearing held to discuss whether or not, um, Johnny should just be given a life sentence instead of being sentenced to death, but, but it's um, Texas. But it's Texas and his original sentence was retained on a 17 to one vote that no, he should be given the death penalty. And I'm sure down in Texas, they did not take this crime lightly. No, not at all. Now throughout Johnny's trial, there was even a doctor who examined him and at first believed Johnny to have schizophrenia. But she later Mm. determined that he had um, pretty much what we know now as multiple personality disorder. Oh. And this was uh, as a result of child abuse from his mother, his grandmother, and his grandfather. And now I found this really interesting, this whole part about, you know, multiple personality disorder. There is a really amazing show on Apple TV for any of our listeners that have it. It's called the crowded room and it has Tom Mm. Holland and Amanda Seyfried. And I won't give away too many spoilers, but Amanda Seyfried is this psychologist who is pretty much on to this new theory of diagnosing people with multiple personality disorder. And I believe this show, the decade that it takes place in I want to say it's like the late 70s and 80s so it kind of sounds like that's when that whole um legitimate way of diagnosing some people with multiple personality disorder kind of popped up um 
which I think is like roughly around the same time when the term serial killer actually became what we now know it to be. Right, right. Because they just started putting those pieces together. Mm-hmm. So this doctor at the time diagnosed Johnny with having multiple personalities. And one of his quote unquote personalities was a man that went by the name of Aaron Shockman. And Johnny had formed this alias per se after he was beaten up in the fifth grade. And after he was allegedly sexually abused in the creation of some child pornography. Oh no. So that would have been in like the mid this happened in 81 he was 17 at the time so late 60s ish that this would that that um sexual abuse would have taken place yeah yeah so on february february 11th of 1992 johnny was ultimately put to death by lethal injection he was only 28 years old at the time His final meal request was ice cream. So, um, same, I think that that would probably be one of my final meal requests too. So I like where your head was on, where your head was at on that one, Johnny. And his final words were, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Well, sir. (laughs) Dang. So put that on your gravestone and uh yeah. Rest in peace with so that. So he one. was what 28, 29 when he was Yeah, he was 28 years old when his execution was, wow. was carried through. So spent pretty much 12 years incarcerated. Wow. Almost half of his life. Half his life almost, right? Yeah. And we never really find out there's nothing that I could really dig up. I mean, I know I said that he maintained his innocence throughout everything, but even, you know, up until the very end of him being executed, we never find out any sort of reason why he did that crime that night. And I think the best guess that we have to chalk it up to is, you know, unfortunately a situation of mental health and, sister Tadia um became the the victim of that so three little stories about uh good old Halloween there are so many more these were just the three that piqued my interest the most and so I thought it would be fun to do a little spooky trio yeah for you guys so those are great I definitely want to hear more about the Moxley murder. Oh, that one, a hundred percent. I mean, we yeah. can definitely do a vote, but I think out of the three, that one definitely has the most to be to look up. into. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. There's so many different branches of right who knows who and why this took so long and his appeals and releases and no, we're going to reinstate his original charges. I mean, just yeah. really, really really interesting Mm -hmm. right that it's it's even still an open case now to this day from 1975 exactly it's still an open case yeah it's pretty wild 
I mean, it's, it's still pretty recent with that news too. You know, 2020 was when the case was, you know, reopened to the public. That's only three years ago. And, um, I think that there are a lot of, I mean, probably documentaries, but you know, like a 2020 special or something new stuff like that, that has come out after Michael's release and people really kind of diving back into all of that and looking at the evidence and the pieces and the whys and the who knew who and how did those strings especially with so much time that's passed now there's been time to you know unearth all that information and put it all in one place yeah by all means if you want to do a deep dive on that I'm here for it I have questions sweet (laughs) Sweet. Yeah. I mean, I will definitely give it a go for sure. Cause I would like to go and watch some of those like more in depth after the fact right? news coverage and kind of see what the new word on the street is for all of that. Cause it's been almost what, let's see, 25 plus another 23. So 48 years now. Yeah. 48 years. So he is 48 plus 15. He's 50, 63. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I know. Super, super crazy. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, What are you guys? Well, we're going to see you guys on Halloween. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Fatina's mother-in-law is like (laughs) one of the queens of Halloween. Halloween queen. Yeah, I would say so. She always decorates her house to the nines. And um, to put it simply, I mean, I didn't even have one of these growing up, but she's the full-size candy bar house. Yes. So that's top-notch Halloween stuff right there. Totally. And she loves seeing all the little kids and their costumes. And um, hopefully we'll get some people. So we'll probably just, you know, hang out, eat some food and pass out some candy and mm-hmm. yeah we went out last night too um because just like you know every i mean yesterday was a day to celebrate because it'll fall on a tuesday this year so we went out uh for a friend's birthday dinner and we went out in costume because we're ridiculous um <laughs> and then we went out to a halloween party and then we went back out with the uh, first friend for um to top off the night at a uh strip club <laughs> nice also should have been costume <clears throat> my voice is like gone um, oh, yeah after <clears throat> that night i'm surprised yeah, it was long night. still hanging in there and uh i'm glad it wasn't my weekend to do a <laughs> recording because i would have been really 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 bad uh, but before we leave though everyone be safe check your kids candy do all the things use flashlights you know accompany uh, your kids if you can uh, but I also wanted to mention uh, because we've I mean for the first I think 150 episodes if not more uh, Mackenzie was really good at doing this I'm not so good at doing this but for those of you that caught on, obviously we used friends references for all of our titles for the first 100, 150 episodes. <sighs> um, and with the passing of Matthew Perry, I know. 
it was only 54. Um, so I just want to remind everyone to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. If you need help, you'll always, you always have someone around you that, um, is there to help you can talk to you. And if you're in the U S you can call 988 for help right now. It seems like it might've been accidental, but sure. we know that there was some underlying issues there as well. Right. So, right. um, if you need help, know that there's always resources available to help. And if you ever, you know, even need help researching those resources, message me. I will be happy to help dig up those resources for you. Absolutely. <clears throat> no, that's such a great reminder and, and such a, such a sad loss for so many yeah. different reasons, not just for the person he was and the characters that he played, but you know, the man that he became and the man that he wanted to be throughout right. his sobriety. And, um, you know, I guess we'll just get more information as, you know, more stuff gets released to the public on the actual cause of his passing, but no, thank you for saying that. Cause it is, it, I think we all kind of need that reminder, if not for ourselves, but for other people in our lives, that if you need help, there is always, there's always someone help. Yeah might Absolutely. not seem like there is but there is uh but i definitely wanted to say something especially before the holidays because that can be a very tough time for people too a hundred percent and we're just we're right at the beginning of gearing up for all that so um not to end on a sad note you know um <laughs> so if you can go watch some episodes and um you know remind yourself why we love them so much so i would i'll just end on that Okay. Well, yep. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll maybe throw this out to laugh about. I was telling Tyson that I saw this, like this meme the other day, and it was four separate scenes of Chandler's girlfriend. And it oh, was like, when you listen to it with the subtitles on and the descriptions <laughs> of when she would laugh, how it was describing her laugh. And the first one was like loud cackling laugh. And then the second one was like hyena like laughter. And oh, then no. the other two were equally just as entertaining. And I was just like, I, I can, if you could ever you hear, hear a picture yeah, that is definitely one of the pictures for yeah. sure so all right guys well thank you so much for tuning in and, li and listening like fatina said i hope you all have a very happy and safe halloween and we will catch you on the next episode hey bye hey, bye